We are finally back in our study of 2 Samuel. We made it to 2 Samuel. And if you turn to chapter 3, we're just going to review because it has been a few weeks since we've been here. I understand that. And we probably a very inopportune um, time to, to cut away because we were right in the middle of the story. Where, if you'll remember, my overarching, I think, theme here that I see in this is while David is growing in his relationship with the Lord, David is spiritually mature. David has spiritual wisdom and is guiding his people in the right way. And he's being very patient. He's obviously letting the Lord direct his life. And so even though he is he has been made king, but you have this problem with um, Saul's general. Remember, his general's name was Abner that said, wait, not so fast. We've got one more son of Saul here. and We're going to make him king. So all of a sudden, David's waited all this time. Um, and I think he had an expectation of eventually being king in the Lord's timing. And now he's king of the tribe of Judah, and that's about it. And the, the northern, uh, the rest of the tribes, the northern kingdom, is under Ishbosheth, and yet David is patient. However, with all of that being said, David David is the leader that Israel needs, that these people need, that God has raised up. The people under him are not as spiritually mature by any means, and they're proving that. They're very impatient. His cousin Joab, who is also his general, is very rash and angry and prone to just acting in the moment, the exact opposite of David. And it's going to cause David some real trouble here in heartbreak, as um, we found out that, well, we're going to read this chapter and review in just a minute. But Ishbosheth, the last son of Saul that Abner helped set up as king, kind of a puppet king. Abner is the real intelligence behind it. He makes a false accusation against Abner and really makes draws Abner's ire, makes him angry, and so Abner says, you know, you know what, I should have done all along, I should have been, supported David as king, and he goes to the elders and says, we should have been supporting David as king, and so he uh, sets up a meeting with David, it goes well, Joab says, or, or Abner, I want to get those names mixed up, Abner says, I'm your guy, I'll be able to bring along the rest of Israel, and we'll be united behind you, David. And David, in his patient way, has worked to this point and says, oh, this is great. And so everything seemed like it was going smoothly. David is about ready to become king of all of Israel, except for those pesky family members that, if I can put it that way, don't have the same maturity level or the same patience and carefulness that David does. So we find out when Joab finds out about this covenant that Abner has made with David. It's a very serious agreement. Joab says, I, I don't appreciate that at all. David, what are you doing? Now remember, why would Joab be angry with Abner? Is Abner, or, um, Joab, yeah. Joab would be angry with Abner because Abner killed his brother. His brother continued to pursue Abner in a battle. Remember that? And Abner warned him multiple times, stay back, stay back. I don't want to hurt you. And his brother went ahead and pursued him anyway. And so Abner 
in self-defense, pushed back the blunt end of a spear, and it killed his brother. And so Joab's still angry about that. He's still vengeful. He is not in the right frame of mind. And so he hijacks this whole agreement and tricks Abner into meeting him in a, in a nearby town and takes Abner's life. And so I can just, can you just imagine David hearing about this? His own family member, his own cousin, his own general, just to the point where they have peace in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, somebody entered him, does this, and just, obviously, this has a potential blowing up everything. But David is going to continue to pursue wisdom with God, and we'll see that tonight. So if you'll be patient with me, just let's start at chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read through this to remind ourselves again of what happened. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Skip down to verse 6. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault <clears throat> concerning a woman. God do so to Abner and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you. That is, you shall not see my face unless you bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. And we all understand that he received her back under unfortunate circumstances, of course. Let's go to verse 17. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. That's the tribe of Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron, all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you. And you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And again, that's great. Everything's working together. David's going to be king. But he has this angry cousin, this angry general, verse 22. Just then the servants of David arrived from Joab with Joab from Arad, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away. And he had gone in peace. That's important. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. And Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? 
Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Nair, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. Joab came out from David's presence. He sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Nair. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. Again, that's David's very wordy, picturesque way of mounting a curse upon his own cousin because of the evil that he has done. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. So now we're to verse 31, and we'll continue to the end of the chapter. But this, the picture here is how um, when a godly man has people around him, especially those that are close to him, that are not acting in a spiritual, godly way. Sometimes that can be more frustrating when the people closest to you are the ones that act the least like they should, even uh, the people of God. Let's just keep it in that realm. We all know, you know, family members or friends or, or those, you know, even children who cause us grief, cause us great grief at times. And how do we handle that? How do we patiently handle the people under us are acting in the way that, that God wants them to act. David gives us that picture. When, when, when it looks like God is doing great things in our life, but very difficult people keep inserting themselves in frustrating things, in a sense, from a certain person's person, from a David's perspective. How do you handle that? Well, David makes it clear here. So David, first of all, makes it clear in these verses that he has not had a part in this thing that Joab, he had no idea. And the narrator let us know that David did not have any idea about what Joab, he's totally guilt or, or guilt free. He's not culpable in the least, but how is he going to prove that to the whole nation? Because it looks really bad for David. Let's just be honest here. It looks really bad for him. Look at the wisdom David has here in verse 31. Then David said to Joab and all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. King David followed the beer. That's the, um, the casket or what they, the actual casket, but what they carried the dead body on. He's following literally right behind it. They buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. How do you make it clear that you did not have a part in this and you make it clear who did? Well, first of all, you be the one to lead the funeral procession. And second, you have the one that did the deed come right behind you and in front of everyone show his own sorrow. Because he says, tear your clothes and sackcloth and mourn forever. All of these are Jewish signals that you are um, broken and that you're sorry, and that you're repenting, 
and that you're very sorrowful over the death of this individual. So here is Abner having to do these exact same things for the very man that he put to death. And David makes it clear that he had no part in this because and he's, and this is not in any way dramatic grandstanding for David. This is sincere weeping because David, um, I think David understands at this point in his life that, that God is, is the only reason um, that he is where he is. And so with that humble understanding that God has brought David to this point and it hasn't been his own um, merit or his, his own success, but it's been God, he's much more willing to show humility and show um, patience and sympathy toward others who have done wrong, like Abner. David hasn't held a grudge against Abner because he realizes that anyone can slip up and, and, and make mistakes. Now, Abner made a pretty big mistake, but David sincerely, I think, is weeping here about this, and it shows also his respect still for King Saul, I think, as well. He still has a sincere, legitimate sorrow over losing Saul and Jonathan, and now he looks at this thing with Abner and says, and now I've lost his general as well, and he is sympathizing, empathizing with the kingdom, the whole northern kingdom of Israel as he's weeping, and he's also making this guy who's acting out in vengefulness do the same thing. So very humbling, shaming circumstance for, for Joab. And uh, he deserved that, obviously. And then the king lamented. Here's another lament psalm for Abner. Even, and as he says this, probably Joab and the others would be having to say these same things as well. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Verse 33, your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. <laughs> it would be even more shameful if Joab is having to utter these very words, referring to himself as the wicked one, because he truly what did a wicked act. He did wrong. And so David accomplishes two things with all of this. He makes it clear that he himself did not have any personal culpability. And he also makes it clear that this was Joab's sin publicly. He, he denounces the sin, makes it clear that it was a wicked act. So this song of lament points out the needless shame of death, saying Abner didn't have to go through this. He was united with us. He was ready to go forward. And wicked men, my cousin and these others, were the foil to all of this. And they are, they are, working against us in this desire for peace. And it says, all the people wept again over him at the end of verse 34. So God is allowing the people, them to see that this King David sympathizes and is agonizing with them. And as they're all weeping together, he's leading this. And they understand David's heart. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God, do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. And that's another sign of God's success, by the way. When you have note here that God's leaders, that what they do 
um, is in sync with what God wants them to do, but also that the people are pleased with that. That's another sign of God's giving success to his man in this man's life. David is experiencing more of the success that God had planned for him because everything that he's doing here pleases the people. They know that David is with them. And David is not, again, grandstanding. This is not insincere when he swears this oath that he won't eat. He's fasting. He's showing his legitimate grief and concern that this happened. And this is drawing the hearts of the people to him. God's wisdom working through David here. And all of this, again, has the result, verse 37. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. And again, that, don't look at that as bragging in any way. David's, he's, um, he is telling the truth of his own character. He's letting folks know this, my way through this and through this whole divided kingdom thing was to be patient, was to be gentle, was to wait on the Lord. Even though I was the anointed king and I could have stirred things up and probably moved this process a lot faster so that uh, we wouldn't have a divided kingdom. I was careful. I was patient. I did the things the way God wanted me to do. And he expresses his frustration here. You can, you can hear it, right? And these men, these sons of Zariah, my cousins, are more severe than I. They're working against me. They're working against what God is trying to do here. In essence, he's kind of subtly saying they're the enemies of God. And so the Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Again, David makes clear Joab's sin and his anger. And, and let's be clear on that. Joab did evil. He had no business ending Abner's life in the way that he did. It wasn't, they, they had, uh, in a godly fashion, they had unity at that point, And Abner was just acting entirely out of anger and revenge and hatred. Folks, whenever we start acting out of those emotions in our life, and we rashly go forward without seeking God's will in the matter, and making sure that we are pursuing things on a godly, on a foundation where we're walking with the Lord, we can expect that we are going to make mistakes. And Joab and his brothers made a terrible mistake here. They should have followed David's example. So, God, David calls on God to deal with them as we finish tonight. All right. Well, again, I said, I'm going to give some applications here because I always want to make sure that even though we go through this material, that we look carefully through it and provide applications to our, our lives. So what can we learn from this as we finish up tonight? I've got four applications, and I think these are certainly legitimate. David has learned to consider his words carefully, right? But the other characters in this story are still erring greatly in the way that they speak. Ishbosheth's ill-advised accusation. Ishbosheth got himself into a lot of trouble by accusing Abner of something that it seems he didn't have proof for. Abner's angry response didn't help things either, even though it helped bring him in unity with David. 
And of course, Jerob, excuse me, Joab's angry, arrogant response toward David. All of these reflect uncontrolled words. So what can we learn from this? To be careful, to seek God's help in our attitudes and responses towards others. And David is one person in this. He's not bitter over any of these recent happenings. Remember that brother of Joab's that was killed was also David's cousin. He could have been very bitter and angry about that. But he was always seeking the way toward peace. That is important. You know, another aspect too, number two, is that let's just be candid here. Sin just makes things complicated and messy. Your sin affects others. Um, let's not, we're not going to totally absolve Abner here on what he did. Abner's sin and not respecting God's man immediately resulted in battle and resentment of others. Abner made it clear, right, that he knew, we read back through that, that he knew that David was God's man. And yet he still set up Ishbosheth as king. And he could have avoided the battle and resentment of others. And even um, the whole thing about David, about Saul um, forcing Michael to marry someone else in that painful scene, um, that didn't have to happen. And so it's just a reminder to us, follow God's way faithfully and obediently through your life. If you get entrenched in sin habits, don't be surprised when your life gets messy and things get complicated. Things are complicated enough when we serve God faithfully. Ask David. We don't need sin making it worse in our situations. Um, a third one, application. Jealousy and a vengeful spirit lead to acting out in wrong anger. Unchecked jealousy and vengeance will always lead you in the wrong way. A high view of God, this is important, and his sovereign control of events humbles us and subdues one to rely on God's timing and purposes and events of our lives. How is David so humble? Because he recognized God's sovereign control and working in his life, and that humbled him. And it subdued him to wait on God. David learned a lot of lessons about waiting on God, didn't he? And he was prepared for this moment. Unfortunately, Joab wasn't. Humility helps one to listen and hear the other's perspectives rather than flying off the handle. And so Joab was one of those that certainly needed a little more humility. And notice that he got it at the end. Whether he liked it or not, it was forced on him. He was shamed by David's actions. And then this is another one that is interesting. I think this, okay, this may not be a, a, a primary application, but I still think it, it's a secondary application that I, I find in this. Um, notice David's response to family. How that even... If it's family, that if family does something against or sins, especially grievous sin, that David still does not neglect to confront it, is what I'm trying to say. And I think we can learn from this. Be careful in the midst of family sin to always take God's side in the matter. And folks, I know. I mean, okay, I've got four boys, and uh, I, I know the tendency to, to want to always Look at the best side, side of things, especially with family, with those that you love and with, with close friends. Um, and there's that's good. And, you know, I want my boys to know that I've got their backs and, and my family. Um, but I've met some folks that go so far the other way. I think I've said this before, that they will, they literally almost seem like they will argue against God himself to defend their family members if they had opportunity. 
And if you're in that situation where you literally, if somebody does something wrong and you would literally God points it out and you would argue, even in the face of God, that your family member is not culpable, then things are out of balance. David didn't do that. Not to say that David wasn't a perfect husband or father. The more we get into this, we find out he had a lot to be desired in those areas. But he was willing to make it clear to everyone the wrongs that had been committed, even if the main perpetrators were his close family members. He didn't shy away from that. And we can be faithful examples and deal with wrong choices. We can deal with those things in our family's lives. But one other thing we have to remember is that only God can change a family member's heart and life. In the end, it's only God that can change Joab's heart, these others. And we're going to see whether Joab will, will submit to what he's learning or if he'll continue on his rashful, vengeful, anger-in-the-moment ways. We will see more of that as we continue here. So four applications for us to take away for tonight that I hope 